Smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the unprecedented podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Welcome back, everybody. Monday, May 10th. John Aravosis here with Cliff Schechter. Cliff. Hello, John. Hello. How are you? Hello. <laughs> I am good. Um, we are here today with Paul Bagala, our re- returning guest, returning champion. Uh, Paul is an American political consultant, a political contributor at CNN. He's perhaps best known, certainly to me at least, as an advisor to President Bill Clinton. And Paul played a key role in getting Bill Clinton elected. I've got deleted in my notes. I don't think Paul had a role in that. <laughs> elected in 1992. Um, this, uh, his latest book, which was during the uh, Trump presidency, of course, was uh, You're Fired, The Perfect Guide to Beating Donald Trump. But Paul was telling us before the show that actually he hopes there's a lot of uh, uh, advice in there that is still useful today, would you say, Paul? And what is it, more generic advice? How would you phrase it? I hope so. And welcome. I hope so. And welcome, first piece of way. advice, uh, first piece of advice, listen to Unprecedented. Subscribe. Yeah, you guys you are great. I'm a huge fan. This there is why I'm go. back. I, I, I love this. There podcast. you go. Oh, thank you. Um, I think also I would jump in, not to speak for <laughs> Paul, but we did fire Donald Trump from the presidency, but now he's like the godfather of Mar-a-Lago where they all come kiss his <laughs> ring and he's still, still controlling their messaging. And so, I mean, in a way, I'm sure a lot of this is still relevant, what Paul wrote about, because their, their party is still controlled by this guy. Well, you know what? We're still trying to fire him, Cliff. Yeah, right. in some ways we are. Yeah. Um, no, Paul, this is really unprecedented, not to use a pun, but the, the a president having this much power after leaving office and wielding it and doing so publicly in terms of weighing in on Biden and all this kind of stuff. Has this happened before? I mean, in recent memory, I can't think of anybody doing just just what Trump is doing. Nothing like this. Nothing like this. You know, any good party should, you know, look to and revere its former leaders. I actually think the Democrats haven't always done a very good job of that. Uh, (laughs) No. uh, (laughs) Yeah, particularly because a lot of them lost. And so then we didn't want to speak to Mike Dukakis again. Well, he still knows a lot of stuff. and He's still a good person. I loved that our president went to visit Jimmy Carter in Plains. But in in the main, that's about it, right? We, we, a good party, looks to them and admires them. the power Trump is wielding is being wielded because they want him to, they being the Republican leaders and, and many of the Republican uh, activists. It is astonishing to me because parties exist for two reasons, right? To push a set of ideas and to win elections. Right. Trump is not good at either. He, <laughs> he is, you know, the first thing, he doesn't have any ideas. He doesn't. Um, it, it, Bill Cohen, the former Republican congressman uh, and then Republican senator and then the Republican defense secretary, gave right. an interview to CNN this weekend where he said, this is not about ideology. It's about idolatry, about right. worshiping yeah. the he, he referred to the biblical story of worshiping the golden bull. And I just thought that was wonderful. So th- that's the first thing. It's not about ideas at all. If it were, and we'll get to this, I know, but if it were, they wouldn't want to replace Liz Cheney, who has a 78 rating from the American Conservative Union, right. with Elise right. Stefanik, who has a 44. Right. And Elise Stefanik right. is much more liberal than most of the Republicans in Congress. They don't care. Why? Because she right. participates in the idolatry. Well, the second thing is win elections. Donald Trump is the first president in 90 years to preside over his party losing the House, the Senate, and the White House all in just four years. It doesn't happen very often. It's Herbert Hoover was the last guy. And by the way, after Hoover lost, People didn't troop out to Iowa or I guess he wound up at Stanford or something, wherever the hell he spent his golden years. <laughs> apathet in the party for right. about 30 years. Right. right. They, that's right. They wouldn't. They still we're still running against Hoover. 
So this is madness. It is a political death cult. And um, there are a few people standing against it. I mean, let me get you on the election thing, though, because, you know, uh, people people say I sound like these freaking Republicans. I mean, people actually do say (laughs) you're going to you're going to agree with me when I say this. I'm not just pulling it out of my, you know, my back. But people say that Trump did exceedingly well. First of all, Trump did obviously very well in 2016, meaning he's the last person who should have won, right? He did Mm -hmm. very well last year. He should not have done nearly as well as he did against Biden, knowing everything we know about Trump. Um, He seems to do very well with uh, pushing these congressional uh, elections. I mean, push back a little bit. I mean, doesn't he, hasn't he proven that he actually is pretty good for Republicans in elections? Well, yeah, I don't think so. I think he's enormously powerful in Republican primaries and Republican districts. Guess what? Okay. They don't need help to win Republican primaries and Republican district. You know, okay. That, so or, like Jim or, Jordan, Ron, for example, right. Jim Jordan, Ronnie Jackson, Trump, no. the uh, White House physician <laughs> right. who's now a congressman. His Ugh, district yeah. in Texas, my beloved Texas, his district was the number one district for Trump. Now, did Doctor mm-hmm. Ronnie win the primary because he's a Trump guy? Probably. Do I care? Right. No. It's not a swing district, so I, I right. don't think he helps. When he was not on the ballot, when he was on the ballot in both twenty sixteen and twenty twenty. You and I and Democrats, we all believe that, if, you know, if he got three votes, that's more than than he deserved. Right. Because he's not just yeah. a, a bad politician. He's a bad human being. And and I say yep. that advisedly. And I, but I just I just think the, the facts are overwhelming. He's uh, he's yep. corrupt. By the way, he's stupid. Um, he's dishonest. Uh, yeah. And proud of his stupidity. Yep. He uses capitalization all wrong. Sorry. That's a, I know it's a small thing. But no, it gets so, me angry, too. <laughs> so. Well, why are they doing this? I think it is because of the remarkable appeal he has with uh, those activists, those truth-denying Trumpers. And I think you're right, John, is that they seem to not want to turn out when he's not on the ballot. It is true. You're 100% right. Trump got 11 million more votes the second time than the first time. Hard for me to wrap my mind around that. In between, right? I don't mean to cut you off, but I mean, Virginia in the off year, the midterm in 2018, they didn't turn out then. They lost the people they could have won if Trump hadn't been there, and the Trump people did not actually turn out. Right. In 17, 18, and 19, the Republicans lost almost everything in sight. They lost everything in Virginia. They lost the House and the Senate there for the first time in four years. The Alabama Senate race, although Roy Moore helped that. They lost the special in Alabama, but then they lost lost, um, Hmm. Kentucky governor. And Louisiana governor, blood yeah. red states, you know. So I, I why didn't Biden? I think, why didn't Biden do better? Why didn't Biden do better last year? It, it was you know you've got sort of the old forty thousand votes or whatever it was right. that could have swung the election. I mean that was awfully close for running against a proven idiot. It is, and I think that's where you're one hundred percent right, and that's where Democrats have to look hard. Or that's our messaging at, conundrum, I guess that that leads us into this discussion today. <laughs> absolutely, you know he okay. Florida went for Trump. And that's a huge prize in his campaign, and he ought to get great credit for that. On the same day they voted for Trump, they voted over 60% to raise the minimum wage to 15 bucks, which is a Bernie Sanders idea. Right. So yeah. I, I come at this saying, okay. but by the way, the cycle before that, they voted to extend uh, voting rights to uh, former felons in Florida. <laughs> over 60% voted right. for that. That's a liberal right. idea. Uh, Missouri right. and Oklahoma voted in referenda to extend Obamacare, to extend Medicaid, uh, expand it in their states, which is an Obama idea. So right. I, I believe you're right. I believe there's something about us mm. that gets in the way right. of of the ideas. I think people like what we stand for, but a lot of times they don't like us, and we ought to focus on that. That's <laughs> look. That's why I'm here. That's why I, I love your pod. Right. 
Well, let's start with that. Maybe start with, I mean, Cliff, should we start with Biden since we're already on the topic and then segue to Cheney and the insurrection and all the crazy Sure, you're talking about like the, the new polling that just came out? Well, I think we could do the new polling. Just, Actually, sure, because why didn't Biden I mean, do better? And does the new polling mean maybe he is doing better and 2022 won't be a disaster? Well, can I, I mean, to, can I cut yeah. in there for a sec, John? I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I think to me that I find, you know, and you're right about Trump did better because he turned out some of these sort of, call them what you will, unusual voters, deplorables, whatever, people that don't normally turn right. out uh, for anybody else, and and in a, especially in sort of rural states. But uh, but I, I said this a lot after the election. The election actually really wasn't as close as people said it was. I mean, Biden did go and take an, an electoral vote in Nebraska. He took Georgia. He took Arizona. You know, he almost took North Carolina. Um, I mean, there, there were it wasn't as close as people said. And if you play that game with right. the 40,000 votes in this direction or that direction, well, like, and, yeah. you, you know, the Ford yeah. Carter election could have been switched. The Humphrey Nixon election. And he election. won by 7 million, right? And he won by 7 million, Cliff. Right. So I guess if you look yeah, at it, so you're right. I'm, I'm almost, you're right. I'm falling for the I'm electoral the college fallacy. The, the bigger deal was the yeah. fact that they turned out in congressional races and it hurt us there. Yeah, than, than for Trump. So I think that's yeah. important. I just want to kick Fair it enough. off. Yeah, that yeah, that's a good Paul point. Jump in. No, that's a good point. Paul, we we, so let, we yeah, did not perform as well as we should have. I, no, I think you're right. I think that in the Democratic Party in 2020, and thank God for Joe Biden and all the people who put him there. Um, right. But down ballot, we lost in places where I felt like we should have won in, in some key Senate races. Uh, I'm from Texas. We I thought we're well positioned with the best Senate candidate we've had in a generation, MJ Hagar. Badass war hero, uh, just a terrific woman, uh, and she lost sizably. I think seven points, um, maybe nine. I don't know. I can't recall. But she lost badly. Uh, we we lost. We, I thought we were going to pick up the legislature in Texas. We didn't. We didn't gain any house seats there. We lost key house seats in Florida. My friend Donna Shalala, a wonderful congresswoman, yeah. lost her yeah. job. So, and and of particular interest to me as a Texan. The Rio Grande Valley of Texas is the most democratic place in Texas, and it had the biggest swing in America from D to R. Trump gained more in the Rio Grande Valley, which is so, so democratic. There are counties that Hillary won by a margin of more than 50 that Joe won by two or lost by two. So there, right. there's definitely something wrong and something going on, and I do hope that we'll focus on that. Well, what I mean, do you want to tell us what? What I mean, have you looked at sort of? Done I mean, a lot of it's the Latino, of all of that? Latino what, vote, right? I'm especially concerned about that, um, and and I have dug into it. Hmm. I've talked to a lot of people, uh, hmm. and and it, it there's a couple of different things in Miami Dade, hmm. where I talked to the local Republicans who ran the campaign there. Smart people, Miami right. Dade in Florida where Democrats really should run up the score. And the Republicans cut the margin there, particularly uh, among Hispanics. Why? Well, the local Republican leader I talked to there said, we didn't follow Trump. We didn't attack Biden personally. We didn't attack his family. We thought that was a losing strategy. We kind of gave him a gold watch. So, well, he's an old guy, but let's face it, he's not going to run things. We right. attacked Kamala bitterly. And they had right. some study, you know, the, hmm. she was the most liberal member of the Senate. I could dispute yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's it, in a campaign. It was, and it was, a re, it was a it was a by the way, because I was told that, too, and looked into it. It was I don't remember who, but it was a name that you'd go, oh, shit. It was. Yeah, it was reasonable who did the study, which was sad. <laughs> right. So they had yeah. that. And then they had yeah. socialism, which if you yeah. have come to this country or your family has from Cuba or Venezuela, of which there yeah. are hundreds of thousands in that area. Even if you're liberal, even if you're a Democrat, you are not interested in any damn socialism. 
go ask the people living yeah. under the Chavez Maduro regime, ask people living under what has yeah. been the Castro regime. So I think that was that hmm. in, in Miami-Dade. Uh, we let that get away from us. In South Texas, what I learned was three or four things. Um, it's the poorest place in America. It's poorer than Appalachia. It's poorer than any uh, neighborhood probably you've ever seen. And there are three or four ways out of poverty there. One is fracking. Work for a fracking contractor and you can make good money down there. So Republicans said Democrats want to ban fracking. Second is work for Customs and Border Patrol. I spend a ton of time down there. I love the Valley. I love South Texas. I go there a lot for a host of reasons. And uh, it's true that, that the overwhelming majority of Customs Border Patrol agents you see are Latino and principally Mexican Americans. So that's okay. a, and they believe that we wanted to do away with that or join the military, or the police force. Oh, interesting. Oh, so, they thought we were going to get rid of their jobs. Absolutely. It was Ooh. a jobs thing. It was a jobs thing. It was a jobs yeah. thing. And and we we took them for granted. Democrats did. They didn't go and campaign there early enough or often enough. And they didn't bring them an economic message. Uh, the truth is uh, we're energy independent in part because of fracking, which was expanded by Barack Obama. You know, yeah, we have to do it in a clean and safe way. But the reason that those folks in fracking have jobs is in part because of Democrats and Obama. We didn't make that case. Right. And on the border, but that's the problem, isn't happened. it, Paul? Like yeah. we, they, we let them define uh, our presidential candidate and our party overall by the furthest left or the most extreme fringes, whatever you want to call it, right? Because Biden was right. not for a fracking ban. He was right. for you know, regulating it in a smart way. And people who speak about natural gas get that that's a, a, a bridge to getting to cleaner energy. So we, that wasn't our party position. Our party position also wasn't socialism. It also wasn't right. one, of, one of the, I think, is one of the dumber kind of slogans we've ever come up with, which right. is defund the police. Oh. I mean, you know, I'm on the board of the Ohio Innocence Project. I think we need to reform right. the police in all sorts of ways, like a lot, right? But, but that slogan doesn't tell you what we're actually well, but going actually, to Cliff, do. It says Cliff, something different. ICE, but remember, they actually went after ICE directly. Remember they said eliminate ICE or whatever it was? And even I at one point asked and said, are you saying we just get rid of like the entire border patrol? Or what are you talking about? Well, no. And I'm like, guys, if if I think you literally mean eliminate all the border agents, then everybody else is going to think the same thing, right? Right. It was, it was and a, the point was is they define us by that. Yeah. They message the nomination. That's the important yeah. part of it. Right. Right. But, but Biden Paul, won the Paul nomination Paul. because he was he, Joe was none of those things. That's why he won. Democrats picked him because they wanted reconciliation. And moderation. And, uh, you know, you can't go everywhere. But I think that uh, that Democrats hmm. ignored uh, those arguments in those communities. Hmm. And right. woe be it to us, you know, right. if we start to to erode among Hispanic Americans, we right. we lost nine points. So that's almost one out of 10 Latino voters who voted for Hillary turned around and voted for right. Trump. The next time, that is a Let's flashing see. red signal. And We've these are not got to get into Cubans, those communities. Correct? No, that's right. Cuban it's Americans. not. And and again, where right. I'm from in Texas, it's predominantly Mexican Americans, and we have to right. listen to them, and and right. and we have to talk to them with them, like them, right. instead of hectoring them well, with ideology. They just kind of want practical ideas to make their lives better. You know, they'd like then, to have hmm? lights that turn on. on when you flip the switch in Texas. You know, so they don't freeze right. to death. 
OMG, I am using a new skincare system that I absolutely love. People say puffiness and bags under the eyes are the hardest things to get rid of. Until now, introducing Genucel Plant Stem Cell Therapy from Chamonix, specifically targeting eye puffiness and bags. Due to new technology, Genucel is an incredibly powerful natural serum, and with its instant effects, it's guaranteed to show results in as little as 12 hours or your money back. That's right. Users saw results in only 12 hours with dramatic improvement in two weeks. A true Chamonix classic, Genucel contains eight extra ingredients to significantly reduce the appearance of bags and puffiness. Plus, Genucel uses patented plant stem cell technology to improve longevity and brilliant long-term results. You can try Genucel right now absolutely risk-free. Go to lovegenucel.com slash Stephanie. Enter that special promo code Stephanie for an extra 10% off. Order now and get the legendary Genucel XB face cream absolutely free just for trying Genucel today. Chamonix, the best skincare, best results, or your money back. That's lovegenucel, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Stephanie. Lovegenucel.com slash Stephanie. Well, have I ever mentioned to you what a carnivorous beast my mom is? She loves steak and burgers, right? We grew up on them. I've never seen her so happy when I sent her Omaha steaks and burgers for Christmas one year. Holidays around the corner, finding the perfect gift is tricky. Omaha Steaks makes it easy to send friends and family an unforgettable gift guaranteed to be loved. Go to omahasteaks.com right now and enter Stephanie in the search bar to order the perfect gift package. For $99.99, you'll get 24 entrees like the world-famous bacon wrap filet mignons, chicken breasts, sides, desserts, and so much more. When you use the code Stephanie, you'll also get an additional eight Omaha Steaks burgers free with your order. We've all heard the reports about shortages and shipping delays, so don't wait. Order the perfect gift package today at omahasteaks.com. You'll get eight free burgers when you enter the code Stephanie. Achieve gifting greatness with Omaha Steaks. Incredible flavor, incredible value, and 100% guaranteed. That's omahasteaks.com. The keyword is Stephanie, omahasteaks.com. <laughs> what, okay, but what do you, and I'm devil's advocating, but I'm not convinced I'm wrong on this one. You know, on the socialism charge, it's gotten a little harder lately. You know, our our potential number two presidential nominee, not nominee, but the guy who could have won but didn't, is a socialist. And I don't care what anybody says about Bernie. Give me a break. I mean, the, guy, the guy's a socialist. He's rebranded himself. That's fine. But he's been a proud socialist for decades. You can dig up the quotes and it will be used against him, Right. AOC, right. we, they've branded us effectively as the party of AOC. A lot of Democrats, and I'm sure whenever I bring it up, our listeners get upset that they think I'm criticizing her. People like her. She's a socialist. I mean, I, I, let's let's stop playing words, whether she's a Democratic social or a social Democrat or it, come on, you know? So at this point, it's getting a little harder. And, and I'll stop with this, polls show that younger Democrats are very happy to embrace the socialist uh, label. Whenever I bring it up online, I get attacked with people saying, well, what's wrong with it? We should rehabilitate the term. We should make it acceptable because socialism's good. How do you fight back when they're not totally wrong on the socialism thing, although they are when they ascribe it to Biden and Harris? And most of our party. Right. And but, Bernie, but, but the nascent, correct, Cliff, correct. It's, it's not, I'm sorry, real quick, it's not our party yet, but there is this nascent wing that is very strong. Let's face it, our presidential candidate could have been. Right. And uh, I, I say this, I like Bernie. I even consider him a friend. I think he's a really good person. He's a fine senator. He won 19 contests against Hillary. That's a lot. And right. Hillary's a pretty formidable candidate. He beat her in right. 19 different contests. He only right. won nine against Joe. Only nine. Oh, interesting. And but the is it because of the larger – well, look at the larger primary field, though, right? I mean, you did have Buttigieg that was shockingly uh, powerful at the beginning, Elizabeth Warren. Right, but not a socialist at all, Mayor Pete, now Secretary Pete. But right. Senator, Senator Warren uh, uh, clearly running in that lane uh, to a great extent, uh, 
Beto O'Rourke, Julian Castro were really running on right. the left. So you're right, it divided up, but the, the party chose. In fact, in a, in a multi-candidate right. field, I've never seen anyone dominate like this. Joe Biden won 44 <laughs> at a 55 contest. Barack Obama never did that. Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, nobody ever has ever done that before, except Al Gore, How who only he... had one opponent, Bill Bradley. Gore ran How the table. How did he do it? How did Biden do it? I think he understood that the heart of the party is African-American and Latino voters, Asian-American voters, not pain in the ass white liberals. I'm sorry. I love you guys. I love me. I love us. We're great. But the heart and soul of the party is not the Twitter elite, uh, uh, the white Twitter elite, especially. I had this conversation with many of the candidates. I can't tell you which ones. But uh, when they were running, I said, when you're thinking about the Democratic base, I can tell from your speeches, you're thinking about an assistant professor of aroma candle therapy making at yeah. Iowa State. You need the heart. That's not the heart of the party. That's the heart right. of the Twitter left. The heart of the party is a church lady in Orangeburg, South Carolina. Okay, it's Bakari Sellers' aunt. Like, that's who should own right. the Democrat. That's who should run the party. That's who you should talk to right. all the time. And right. when you have that archetypal voter in your mind, it really changes your 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 approach. Mm -hmm. I believe, watching the campaign very closely, that's who Biden was thinking about the whole time. That's that mm -hmm. allowed him to stumble terribly out of the chute and yet win right. a dominating victory because he understood. And and the the way he taught us, Joe Biden taught us, the way he got those voters was not stupid sloganeering, not going in their face and saying, I don't really mean defund the police, I don't really mean socialism, but going directly to them. And respectfully saying, here's how I'm going to make your life better. I'm going to put some money right. in your pocket. I'm going to put a shot in your arm. I'm going to get your kid a better school. I'm going to reform this justice system so that your cousin can get out instead of spending 20 years for a bag of weed. Uh, it just right. he, I think the plain spokenness, Biden's policies are more moderate. But I think more than that, it's that he, he, he has this middle class, pardon the pun, but average Joe sensibility. And I think that part of it, I don't have a problem with our ideas. And I really hate, and I know you guys do too, I hate when people draw a false equivalency between AOC and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh, yeah. You know, AOC, uh, her politics is not mine, but at the end of the day, she just kind of wants more and better health care and more and better jobs. Yeah. She wants to help people. She's more to the left of me, but she just wants to help right, people. What Carl, <laughs> right. What, what your friend Carville, right? James Carville, was saying. Yeah. Carville says is, this all the time. And this. Yeah. Right. And this is what we, you know, we've talked about in this podcast of exactly what you're saying right now, Paul, which is, you know, again, I think AOC means well. I agree with her on some things. There are a bunch of things she's well to the left of me. You know, I'm a liberal, not a leftist, I guess is what I would say. The problem is, is that, and you just said it, is that often, you know, white leftists think that they're speaking for the entire party. Right. And they're speaking for Twitter and, at, you know, African-American and Latino, other voters being more moderate. The one I always bring up here is how it was astonishing to me how, you know, after the incident came out about Ralph Northam in Virginia, mm -hmm. you know, and my initial reaction was, uh, you know, to me, if somebody's hanging out with somebody who's got a Klan uniform on, obviously, you need to resign. All right. But then I looked and I saw that that the, in Virginia, African-Americans, the majority did not want him to resign. And right. I was like, maybe, you know, this isn't for me to decide. Maybe I should let the folks who were most directly impacted by this come to that conclusion. And I think that happens with us, which is you get caught up in this Twitter world and you sometimes right. think that, you know, what everybody's saying on there is the truth versus your average voter out there, often African-American, Latino, but even white Democratic voter is not like what people are on Twitter. Absolutely, Cliff. I think it's so insightful. I lived through that. Ralph's governor, Northam, is a friend of mine. Um, 
And the folks who knew him best saved his job. You know, he, I don't think he's ever said this in public. I can tell you. Ralph Northam has been attending a predominantly African-American church for years and years and years. Um, the people who have known him, particularly uh, African-Americans who've known him all his life, they know. They know. And that's why they stepped forward to save him. Um, right. And and what a smart move, by the way, because he has been the most progressive governor in Virginia history by a mile, by a mile. Uh, he just signed a bill abolishing the death penalty, the legalizing uh, – Marijuana. The, the, he he has been up and down the line, uh, the most progressive governor Virginia has ever had, and in part because I think he knows who the who the heart of his party is, and that's a good example though. When when it, it predominantly was people that didn't know him and they didn't live in Virginia, they didn't know his record or his heart, and so they're like, like you, oh, I see that he has to go, get that away from me. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's why I'm urging Democrats to realize who their real base is and talk to them and listen to them and don't just shout mm. into the the void of the you know the the twitterverse yeah i don't <laughs> as somebody who lives in the twitterverse it's hard because i think i'm not sure you can reform the twitterverse because i think almost right. twitter almost gets a bad rap in a way i think the and again people who aren't on social media who aren't on twitter won't even know what we're talking about but there is this interesting like ethos or culture going on of the top journalists, the top lefties, the top righties too, but we don't really follow them. But a lot of us are able to chat with each other. And I think just like we did with email originally or the web, we're able to influence journalists in particular, but also politicians and, and activists to believe that whatever is being discussed on Twitter is the zeitgeist of the world. Absolutely. So that we think, oh, my God, people on Twitter are livid that X, Y and Z isn't happening right now. Oh, boy, Democrats are in trouble. Right. And the pro so I guess the problem is, you know, a lecture doesn't really do it, because if these are your issues, if you're on Twitter and these are your issues, these are your issues. Right. The, the lecture is maybe more for the rest of the party to kind of sit back and go, you know, activists have their opinions. And I say this as a sometimes activist myself, but we are not necessarily all the opinions of the party and don't be snookered by a good advocacy campaign, which you are free to pay Cliff or me to do. Um, <laughs> but don't be snookered that we create a whole smoke and mirrors of, Oh, everyone's very upset about this. Maybe everyone isn't. Maybe the base is very upset or not even the base. Maybe a section of the base is very upset. Um, so anyway, it's, I don't know. Should we, can we, I, I kind of want to, unless you got more here, I kind of want to segue over to the Cheney stuff. Cause that's, kind of our big discussion but this yeah like if you anyway. think democrats have problems <laughs> let me introduce you <laughs> well, to except, my friends in the except democrats party. may have problems if if the republicans keep winning elections with neo-fascists in power we could be in real trouble we won't win elections actually but let's i don't know how do you i will just throw it to you for starters how do you want us to begin discussing the cheney problem <laughs> is, bigger problem for us bigger problem for republicans well, that's a good question. I, I think certainly a bigger problem for the Republicans. But ultimately, we have to live with these people. And we have to that's share a country concern. with them. And yeah. mine too. I mean, I, I have a degree in political science. I have taught uh, public policy for decades. And I always was taught, and I teach, that hmm. uh, politics exists for two reasons. To mediate and resolve disputes without punching each other. Right. Um, and to, to allocate resources. We hope equitably and fairly, right? That's kind of what government mm -hmm. is, a good government, a democratic government, little d. A democracy exists right. to mediate disputes and resolve them and to allocate scarce resources. Do we build another prison or another school? 
and all my career, I have fought with Republicans about those things, and that's fine. Right. They they want more prisons. I want more schools. We have those fights. The it seems to me the Republicans today are trying to declare themselves not at all about resolving disputes or or making your life better by allocating resources to to your community, but instead right. about grievance, white supremacy, lies. Uh, and and um, anti uh, anti democracy acts that that's I can't compromise with that. There's no I can compromise on the tax rate. You know, Joe Biden wants it at 28, and uh, Kevin McCarthy wants it at 21, and like fine, we could cut that deal. But if Kevin McCarthy wants to end the ability of people to vote, particularly if they're young, black, or brown, I can't compromise with that. That's not that's not trying to mediate disputes or allocate resources. That's trying to end right. democracy. And that's so that's why you're right, uh, 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 John, it's ultimately a real problem for anybody who lives in this country. But it begins with their problem because they are uh, they're moving towards something very dark and frightening. And my concern is they're going to win someday and they're either going to win the Congress or they're also going to win the presidency. And not only is it going to be a disaster because they're fascists and they're turning into fascists. But we're also going to have the issue. Oh, uh, Cliff! Cliff, drop. But Cliff, you're back. I see. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, I don't know what's going yeah. on with the internet here. No, that's today. okay. Go ahead. I'll, and I'll. Uh, I'm going to get rid of your previous existence. There we go. Um, I was just asking Paul. Yes. I was just telling Paul that. Um, you know, my one of my big concerns is is that the Republicans are going to win again. They're going to win the Congress. They're going to win the presidency at some point. And not only will we elect actual fascists into power, but which is what they're already doing. They're changing the electoral system so much that we couldn't have an election literally stolen from us, a presidential election. And I don't know what happens then, Paul, because this is a point I've made before and I'm always careful how I make it. I'm going to say this today in a way I haven't said before. The insurrection was rational if you were one of those insurrectionists, because after all, your party leaders, your candidate, and your news source that you know is objective told you, they all told you this election was stolen. There was a literal coup d'etat and the wrong guy was put into office illegally. What do you do at that point if that happens to your government? If this was in a foreign country, I would say you overthrow that government if it were a foreign country. I'm not going to say that about America, but but you know what I mean? Like I worry what happens the next time the Republicans get into power and try to stop (sighs) us from putting our guy or gal as president when they literally- And and they're doing it with- I'll say quickly in all these states where they're essentially taking the power away from the secretary of state and county officials and handing it over to the state legislatures, which they've conveniently gerrymandered. Yep. The new state ballot laws that have been passed. Yep. Right. And all these swing states, they've gerrymandered all those legislatures so that hopefully to them, they'll never lose them. And I mean, what's to stop them? They're doing more and more out in the open. This is my concern for 2024 is not even a hidden stolen election, just a, no, we think those results were fake. So we're going to have a whole different slate of electors. Oh, the state legislatures approved it. Yeah. Well, and they're immune to facts. And both of you just alluded to that. Um, Hmm. Again, in my beloved Texas, Republicans have run everything for 25 years. There hasn't been a single statewide Democrat elected since 1994. So Hmm. for... Well over a generation, Republicans have run everything. So they just ran the last election. By the way, they did really, really well. As I said, they picked up seats. They won the Senate race. Trump won comparatively comfortably. And they came out of it and they said, oh, my gosh, our election system is terrible. It's dishonest. It's fraudulent on behalf of the Democrats who've been out of power for 25 (laughs) years. 
it's insane. It's absolutely insane. So the attorney general, uh, Ken Paxton, who's Trump's favorite attorney general, dug into this. And uh, according to open records uh, requests, he and his office spent 22,000 hours and millions of dollars of taxpayers' money to investigate voter fraud in Texas. There were 11,300,000 votes cast in Texas. Out of those 11,300,000, the Republican attorney general found 16 cases, 16 people who used the wrong address. No other fraud at all. It's all the same offense. They used the wrong address, and perhaps fraudulently, I don't know. They all pleaded out. Nobody spent a day in jail. That's it. That is it. But when you go to people I love in Texas who believe Fox News or Donald Trump, they say, oh, yeah, it's definitely rigged. Definitely. And you can't they're, – they're impenetrable with right. facts. It's, it's, a, it's, it's because, as you say, John, they're in a closed information yeah. loop. And why shouldn't it they is, believe their loop, Paul? Why shouldn't they believe if, if it's all if they get CNN? But think about it. If CNN, uh, Joe Biden, all of our congressional leaders and the newspapers we trust, the Washington Post and the New York Times all tell us this is what happened. Of course, I'm going to believe it. And on their side, Fox News and the rest, OAN, those are to yep. them. It's CNN. Right. And why and, wouldn't and they the, believe it? I, I, that's exactly right. And and then it gets worse the deeper they are into social media. To hear the rest of this episode, become a premium subscriber to the Unprecedented Podcast by going to patreon.com slash unprecedented podcast. And with a $5 a month or more subscription, you not only support the show, but you get access to this episode and all of our premium episodes, including all of our great guests. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your support.